Welcome back to Impact Izone 2022-2023 edition. And yes, this voice you're hearing is very different. Uh, I'm Michael Varkach. Uh, I'm going to be taking over the hosting for Impact Izone the rest of the season. I'm, of course, joined by my lovely and amazing men's basketball beat reporters here at Michigan State, Brendan Shabath, Luca Maloney. How are we doing on this fine morning, gentlemen? I'm doing fantastic, and I couldn't be more happy to give the hosting duties over to you not only because i've been on this podcast for this is my third season now and i've just spewed a bunch of bullshit on here before yeah but, the, the less we can hear brendan now the better and, and and also as our listeners can probably hear my voice is just shot right now we had a fantastic victory a fantastic performance it was a team effort last night in broom ball against some of the other student journalistic orgs here at Michigan State. And um, I was into it. I, I, I brought the spirit, and I was yelling. And, you know, I, I don't have the voice today, but, hey, that's okay. He was our humble leader. It was a, it was an excellent night last night at Broomball. Impact took a 5-2 dub, I believe is what it was. 5-2, to two, yep. yeah. I believe we had – Slowick had two goals – I know you and I had an assist. We had an assist on the same, same goal. goal. Yeah. yeah, I think I had the hockey assist, and you had. No, I had the one because I centered it for oh, yeah, you. you. Went and to me. You yeah, that's in. right. Yeah. yeah, but either way, dominant performance. <laughs> they didn't get there. It was four nothing at one point. Um, then they got two goals late. You know, towards the end, and, and it's whatever. But five to two, third year in a row, we win. Uh, Allie Cohen, women's basketball beat reporter, was the MVP. Um, Celebrated her birthday yesterday. Shout she was out a beast Allie. in the Had middle, too. Yeah, she was so fantastic in the middle of the ice, um, keeping the ball in the right zone. And what a better, like, I can't think of a better way to celebrate your birthday. Winning on broom ball is a fantastic feeling. Yeah, one of the best things you'll ever do here at the Impact. But for us, we got something very exciting going on as we're recording this on Saturday January 28th here in the morning. And that's because right after we're done recording this, we're going to hit the road, head down to West Lafayette. Because we're going to be at Mackey Arena tomorrow for Michigan State and Purdue. Can't wait for that one. I've, I've never been to Mackey before. So this is going to be really fun for me, at least. Yeah, same. I don't think any of us have, but we know people who have. And, you know, I've been talking to some people who have been there for a game. And, you know, Purdue's a big engineering school. And they have shown that in the architecture of their basketball arena. Um, with the just completely steel roof that just bounces decibels right back down to the floor below it. And it is one of the loudest and most raucous gyms in the entire country. And uh, Purdue's got like one of the best home records of any team in the country, not just this season, but um, historically for the past 20 years or whatever. And so I'm so excited to be there. It's it's one that's, it's a, it's another bucket list place, so. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I'm I'm excited to go to Purdue. It's a, never been there before, never been to a lot of Big Ten arenas, so really excited to get on the road. Well, let's jump right into it then, I guess, fellas. Michigan State 1-1 one one in their last two games, obviously, that 82-69 to lost Indiana a week ago in Assembly Hall, and then the other night, Thursday, a 63-61 to win at home versus Iowa. Brendan, you were at the Breslin Center that night when they played Iowa. I guess just what kind of stood out to you? from the win that they got against the Hawkeyes? Well, I mean, obviously Malik Hall, because there was speculation that he might play, you know, leading up to the game, and, oh, well, he's practicing, but he didn't go full. And, you know, it was a, a lot of speculation, but no solid word before that game until about 
15 to 20 minutes before when word got out through Tom Izzo's pregame radio show and also some of the other sources around the program that said he was going to go. Um, didn't know how much, wasn't going to start, um, and what a night he ended up having. 25 minutes he played, 11 points, three rebounds, four assists, that huge tomahawk slam. Um, he played very good defensively. Again, it's still not the same Malik Hall that we're used to. He still can't cut the same. He's still a little limpy around the court. I'm sure his foot was sore the next day um, and probably right after the game. It's one of those injuries that it's not going to go away the rest of the season. He'll get better progressively as the games continue and as he plays more and more, but he's going to have a sore foot until this season is over pretty much. Um but it, I was really impressed with the way he came back. I thought with re-injuring the foot um, and coming back a second time, it'd be less minutes and less ability, and he was better than he was in his return from the first time. So that was pretty impressive. Um, and, and, and I guess just the other thing that stood out is, is it always feels like one of these games, Tyson Walker's not going to be there. You know, they've had eight games when regulation ended where it was decided by four points or less. And in those eight, they're six and two. So, um, it, and, and Walker has been big in every single one. And he did it again, especially against Iowa. He goes down with like three minutes left. Um, it looks like maybe Michigan state's going to have to rely on someone else. And I don't know who that would have been because it wasn't a very good shooting night for MSU, but it looked like they were gonna have to rely on somebody else to maybe win them the game. Tyson comes back with a minute left. Iowa plays really good defense out of the timeout, and he just launches a long two over his defender, who is very closely guarding him, and just cans it. And it's just classic Tyson Walker. Yeah, no, I mean, Michigan State, too, was sweating in those minutes because those uh, it counted as a long two, but initially everybody thought that was a three-pointer that would have put Iowa uh, virtually out of reach at that point to try to claw back in. But when they saw that it was a two, Iowa started digging deep, <laughs> digging deep, trying to get shots off. And man, those final eight seconds, <laughs> I could. I thought he. I thought he nailed the first attempt before they got the offensive rebound, dished it back out, and and the clock went out. And you know, I have to give credit to Fran McCaffrey, Iowa's head coach, because Fran is a just running meme in the Big Ten. Like I don't know if you guys have seen the FranCon meter. You know, DefCon one, DefCon two. They've got FranCon nine through one, and and he's a guy who gets animated. You know, a technical foul is never far out of reach from Fran McCaffrey as it is for Tom Izzo. Um, and and Fran's kind of a meme, too, because his team has had weird success in recent years. They've been really good, never been good at defense, and, you know, they've been one of the best teams in the country some of these years, and it's never worked out. You know, you look at last year, they had a good Big Ten season, kind of quiet, and they roll through the Big Ten tournament. Um, and nearly win the whole thing. And then, you know, they're this five seed in the tournament. People are like, hey, look out for Iowa. They got Keegan Murray. And then they go lose in the first round to St. Mary's. And it's like, oh, my God, Fran. But uh, I've, I've never been impressed with the X's and O's from Fran, Fran McCaffrey until last night because the obviously the final play, and I'll get to that in a second, but what I was referencing earlier with the Tyson Walker long two was I think Michigan State called timeout with like 48 seconds left or something. And... um. They set up their play, and Iowa had obviously been in man defense the whole game, as any college basketball team is. And Michigan State is known for their ball screen action. High ball screens, multiple, off the ball, 
Um, usually someone down to the corner to the block screening for Hauser, Walker, Sissoko sets a high one for the point guard who's usually Hogard. Um, and that's exactly what Michigan State did. And instead of being in man and either trying to twist or switch some of these screens, um, Iowa went out in a matchup zone. So it kind of looks like man at first until you start moving pieces offensively and you realize oh, they're just in zone. And they ate up the ball screen action. Michigan State had no chance to do anything. And then, you know, credit to Tyson Walker, good offense beats good defense. Um, but then, like you were saying, Luca, they come down and they get – the best shot they got the entire game. Peyton Sanford is their best shooter from deep and all season long, and he's wide open in a shooter spot right on that left wing, pretty, and he just had a bad night, and and so did Iowa. I mean, Sanford himself was one for five from deep. Two of those came in the final eight seconds, Um, and Iowa as a team was three for 17. They didn't make a three in the final 17 and a half minutes of the game. You know, you can't help but if you're a Hawkeye, look back and be like, you know, that's an anomaly. And if that doesn't happen, we probably win that game if we make one or two more. Um, so it's easy to look at that final play, but you have to give credit to Fran because you can't ask for much more than getting that perfect look. It just has to go down, and it did it. Yeah, and credit. I mean, the the rebounding effort by Iowa on the on the offense too was very impressive. To get another look, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, yeah. To, to be able to get another look, and I believe that was Connor McCaffrey who got. It. Yeah, it was. Um, that and, last play. And, yeah, and, and credit for him to find Sanford again. Again, you know, and, and Michigan just... State also almost dug itself in a hole again. Uh, AJ m- misses a crucial free throw, his only one of the night, to put it within three points, misses it, Iowa comes back down the court. So it's those kind of things that Michigan State has to improve on late in the game to close to really close it out because – this was just a little too close for me that it shouldn't have been. Yeah, yeah, and I, I said it the night that it, the game happened. It felt like one of those games. You never want to say games are must-win games. They're all must-win games. But that one more than any with at Purdue and Rutgers, which is a de facto road game, coming up like right down the pipe, that was as close to a must-win as it was going to yeah. get against You have Iowa. to pick up the wins wherever you can get them, and it certainly was. This was one they could not mess up at home. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that because you two were off for that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went with our women's basketball beat reporter, Jay DeCoster, and then our sports broadcasting director, Zach Sudenik, and we were talking about that exact same thing as we pulled into the parking lot. was like, yeah, this kind of feels like a must-win game for them. And it's it's it was a must-win in the fact that Nobody's going to win the Big Ten except Purdue. Nobody's going to compete. Every like second place has four losses. Purdue's got one, and they're not going to pick up another. It seems like, um, and so nobody else is really fighting for the regular season title right now. But it's a dog fight for the top four um, to take those final three spots and get a day off on the first day of the get Big two Ten. Two days off, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, Michigan State, I think, in order to be in the top four absolutely had to beat Iowa. That's, in the case, how it was a must-win. And they did, luckily. It wasn't pretty, but a win's a win. Tom said it after the game. You know, I feel like times there have been times this season where we've lost games we deserve to win, and tonight I think we won one we didn't deserve to. Um, and I think he's right. I think they got outplayed. I think Iowa did a fantastic job responding to the punches that Michigan State was throwing. But that home crowd helped a little bit and just an off-night shooting. You know, you, you're not going to... You're not going to not take a win, so they'll, they'll accept the two-point advantage and, and you know happily head on the road to Purdue. And you talked about Malik Hall, of course, returning and having a pretty big night. I mean, guys, quickly, we can just touch on it. 
what besides the stuff that we've already talked about, what kind of boost do you think this could bring to this team here late in the season? Because this is probably a team that didn't think they were going to have Malik Hall until possibly tournament time, at least Big Ten tournament time, and yet he comes back early, and it just seemed like they played with some extra juice. Yeah, I mean, apart from what Malik Hall gives you on the court, off the court, he's the captain of the team. You know, Tom Izzo said it before, you know, when Malik Hall is in the locker room ready to play, you know, he gets the team ready. You know, he gets the younger guys ready. He gets the more experienced guys good to play. And, you know, like like you said, Michael, I didn't think Malik Hall was going to come anywhere near this time. You know, I thought maybe even Big Ten tournament was still a stretch for him, you know, given how he looked against Illinois, then re-enters it, and then he's in a boot again, off the boot. And in those in those in that two-week stretch, we had no idea what the circumstances were with Malik Hall. You know, it was it a significant injury that required more than what it seemed? But no. But at the end, I think you saw what Malik Hall provides on the court, which is uh, stabilization in shot selection and being able to move the floor, spread the floor, and give Tyson and Jaden opportunities on the wing. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're talking about the injury. I thought he was going to need surgery. I thought it was going to be season-ending surgery for uh, sure. Yeah, that's not easy to come back from at all, especially at um, you know he this is his fourth season playing. It's he's, he yeah. needs a little bit more. And and I think the fact too that both the first time and the second time he injured it, nobody noticed. Like it was like oh Malik Hall's in a boot. What you know like like it, there wasn't a specific play where you saw it, and that's what made me think like this thing's not good. It doesn't take a lot to injure his foot right now because it's not a play that we notice, and all of a sudden he's limping and he leaves. Um, but I think when you ask, you know, what does he provide, Luca, you weren't on our last episode, you know, feeling a little bit under the weather, but Michael, you and I talked about it. This team lacks an edge. They're not scary at all. And I don't know that Malik Hall makes them scary. Like, I don't know. There's so much that he brings that all of a sudden you're like, oh, Michigan State, I'm scared now. But he gets him closer. Yeah, he adds a bit of an edge. They're a little bit sharper with him. Um, You know, we saw the tomahawk dunk. We saw him go up and backhand a rebound above two Hawkeyes. Um, 11-4-3 and in 25 minutes when people thought he either wasn't going to play or maybe play 10. Like, that part is kind of scary where you're like, oh, my God, you know, look at this guy. And then, obviously, he can defend one through five pretty much. Um and he, he gives Michigan State a lot of versatility on defense to switch wherever they need to, and he's a quarterback of that defense. And so he adds a little bit of that edge that they've been needing and that they haven't had, feels like, in two or three years. Yeah, and I, I think you guys hit it right on the head just with everything that he brings in. I mean, A.J. spoke on it after the game of how he just said, we just love having him out there. It's so nice to have him back out there. He's our leader. He's our guy. But let's talk about someone else from that game. And over his last three games, averaging almost 13 points, over four rebounds, three assists. Brendan, I'm going to have you take the lead on this one because obviously in our group chat, you're the one who brought this one up. But Jaden Akins is weird, your words? Yes. Um, And maybe this is just me not doing my job properly and just being completely oblivious to what's going on in the game that we're watching. (laughs) But every single game this season, I feel like... I look at the box score after, and there's there's good old J.A. Jay Nakins is sitting there with like 15 and 7, 12 and 5. Quiet always. Three of, and it's like, where the hell was this guy? That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. It's like he's been one of the best players on their team since he's come back from injury, 
and I feel like we don't even see him out there. Like, obviously, he is out there, and I know he is. But I, I, I don't know. If, I'm wondering if you guys have the same observation if other people at home do. Like, it's su- it's such a strange, quiet 12, 15, 18 it, it points. Is quiet. And then and then Tom Izzo gets in the pro- the postgame presser, and he's like the second or third name he mentions, like right off the bat. And it's like, yeah, you're right, Tom. Jaden did have a good game. You know? Wow. Um, and, and so I don't know what it is about him. Obviously, I think it's just because he doesn't have the ball in his hands that much. A lot of his points are catch and shoot, transition threes, or transition runouts. Um, and so maybe that's a part of it. And on defense, when you know Michael, you and I are calling the game, we're more so watching the ball than watching um, the other defenders. And if he's just not on the ball, then we don't see it as much. But yeah, he's been quiet. Like, like I. I don't want to say he's quietly been one of their best players this year because everybody talks about him and everybody mentions him and he's always in the, the post-game presser and he's always on Twitter, people talking about him, how much they love him. But he really has quietly been so good this season and, and it's something that as the game is going on, I feel like we don't notice until after. Yeah, I, I just think he hasn't made like those uh, like YouTube highlight plays that we're so used to seeing from Jaden Akins. You know, similar to that you know emphatic dunk he had against Villanova earlier on. Uh, you just don't see a whole lot of that side of Jaden Akins on the court as much as you know, fans would like to, but everything else that he's doing is great. His catch and shoot on the corners is fantastic. Um, his decision making and shot selection has been a lot better, and defensively he's improved. I mean, he's for me the fastest player on this team, and his transition is just wonderful. And yeah, you know, it seems quiet, but at the same time, he's he needs to start getting a volume shots in order to, you know, to hear his name being called a little bit more, and I think that's where it comes out to. Yeah. I, I, sorry, real quick. I just think the biggest key for him moving forward is still, like we talked about, be quick, don't hurry. He's still kind of hurrying a little bit, still. I don't know that he's necessarily making up for a lost time anymore. Tom Izzo says he's 100%. I don't know that I believe that, but it, he's still he's making better decisions, but he's making them at a pace in a time frame that doesn't fit the mold of everybody else and so sometimes he's still a little bit too far ahead of his own feet and starts to stumble but uh, he has been impressive yeah and even when you talk about him being quick but not hurrying it that's just part of the mental part of the game right especially even your body may feel that you're a hundred percent back but then your brain's still running a little bit faster so you're making that decision so fast and he's just not quite there yet but one thing i wanted to touch on for his defense Jaden came into this week, and he was 12th in the Big Ten in steals per game at just over, like, one. And now he got three more the other night against Iowa. And I remember Brendan and I were one time calling a game. I can't remember what game it was. It might have been Rutgers. And we just, like, looked down, checked the box score during a break. Like, Jaden Akins has three steals. Like, yeah. he's doing it every night. On, on defense, too, he's been one of the best perimeter f- defenders that they've had. And, it, you know, Tom Izzo spoke on that as well, if they need Jaden on that side. But he's delivering, too. So yeah, Jaden's a weirdo. I don't know what's going on with him, but we're going to keep not noticing until after the game how good he just played. I'm tipping Jaden for a big uh for a big performance on Sunday actually. Yeah, you I feeling think, it on the I, road? I I think um, you know, given w- the performance he had against Purdue the first time, I think he comes back, you know, in Mackey. I think he's going to be the one to get the shots going a little bit more than the rest of them. I think I think that uh, there's a good possibility that I think we tend to see AJ take a back seat when they get on the road sometimes in some hostile environments. I think it happens with Tyson. Or he took a back seat in, uh, against Iowa too. In Illinois as well. I mean, he was I think he was their leading scorer against Illinois, but it certainly wasn't a good game. And yeah, against Iowa and 
Uh, I think Tyson too can get a little. It, it's Tyson's weird on the road. It's it's his decision making dwindles so much. Yeah, they're just weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> his decision making just dwindles so much. It seems like and. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's foul trouble, and then sometimes it's bad shooting and a couple more turnovers than usual. And I guess that's just part of a natural, you know, that's what happens when you play on the road. That's kind of the whole point. That's college basketball. You know, that's Division I college basketball. It's it's tough. It's the the premise this sport was built on. Yeah. but You can't be perfect. Real good observation over here by me. (laughs) But uh, I I do think that that, that's somewhere where where Aikens stands out a little bit. Yeah, maybe he has a a good one Sunday. They they kind of, he hasn't had that breakout performance. He hasn't had that 22-4, and you know. Yeah, where he's been like the stellar man on the court. Uh, no, it hasn't been him yet this season. But He hasn't I, he gotten has... hot in a game. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, Tyson's yeah. done it. AJ's done it. Joey's done it. Even Malik a little bit. Maudie's done it. Yeah, Ma- yeah even Maudie's <laughs> yeah, yeah, done it. What was it? K- Kentucky and Gonzaga? Yeah. He had like a combined like 35 <laughs> points in those two games or whatever? Yeah. Nonetheless, I mean, we'll definitely see what Jaden and the rest of the guys can do tomorrow. But as for a player that I think all of us agree we just need to see more from him. And I know that Tom Izzo is, I mean, they ask him about him after every single game. And it's Pierre Brooks came into the season with such high expectations. Everyone thought he was going to take this this step up. And so far, it just hasn't really been there. Since the Michigan game, there's a span since January 7th, that Michigan game, Pierre Brooks has scored four points. And in that entire stretch, he's only attempted 14 field goals and he hasn't made a single three. And two of those points were last night from the free throw line. He didn't make a single shot from the floor. It just feels like a lot of the time Pierre's just trying to do too much or he doesn't exactly know what he's being asked to do. So I guess I'll ask you guys, what do you believe that, like what does this team need Pierre to be and how do you think that he can get there to help them off the bench? Because I think he's critical. Yeah, no, and we saw him in Portland, you know, coming off the bench, taking a much bigger role. You know, granted it was very early in the season, teams still trying to figure themselves out. But Pierre looked like a guy that could be a serious piece on this Michigan State team. How do you keep playing like that? And I just don't know where Pierre has been. Uh, I've been hearing outside from outside sources that Pierre's a little bit more disconnected from the guys in, in the team than he has been in, previ- uh, in like previously this year and last year. So I don't know if that has to do something about it. If uh, the I feel team like chemi- I can see that. The team chemistry is just a little off. But... Pierre Brooks needs to give me a reason for him to be on this roster next year because it's going to get tougher for him. Uh, you know, the players that are going to come in next season are, you know, expected to be very good. And if Pierre Brooks can't keep up pace, I don't see him making any rotation. It's very difficult. You know, he's a, still a very young guy. You know, he can play multiple positions. And I think, you know, like M- Michael, you said, we don't know exactly where his role in this team is right now. You know, it, it just seems that he's off the bench and see what you can do. Defensively, he looks lost 90% of the time. Um, it'll just be interesting to see, you know, what the plan, what the coaching staff's plan is for him going forward. Yeah, it's been an, an interesting season for Pierre. I think a big part of his success is his own confidence and I think it was boosted a little bit in the summer he had a good summer from what it sounded like and as it was very high on him coming into the season um, some of us thought Pierre would be their best shooter maybe one of their better perimeter defenders Um, it just hasn't come to fruition and I think part of it and part of maybe the lack of confidence he's dealing with right now 
is that when he had his success, his personal success, Michigan State was losing. You yeah. know, they, they lost to Oregon. They beat Portland by a point, a team they should have beat by comfortably 11 yeah. points, 21 points. Um, and so, uh, you know, they lost to Notre Dame. They lost to Northwestern. A- and after he had his good few games, you know, they kind of got back on track. Obviously, Aikens came back. Hall came back a little bit later. There go some more minutes. Um, I think it's easy to misconstrue guys coming back from injury as your minutes being taken, you know, even though you've been here that whole time and have been playing well, that could be part of it too. Um, so I I think you're right that, that he might be a little bit disconnected from some of the other guys. I think we can see that in his interactions on the court. Um, us three tend to run into players after games as well. I don't know that I've ran into Pierre around any other of his teammates. I ran into him a bunch, like, with his family. With his family, yeah. yeah. And, and he's, he's usually, like, one of the first ones out of the locker room. Right, yeah. We were in the locker room after Iowa. He wasn't in there. It was Joey, Marty, Tyson, AJ, Trey Holloman was in there. Um, but Malik Hall, obviously. But but I think that little bit of disconnect and that little bit of lack of confidence is something that's not easy to overcome. And so... He has a lot of work to do. I think this team could be really good with him as like an eight-point-per-game-off-the-bench kind of guy and, you know, get me a steal and two rebounds and call it a night. You know, that that's just the season it's going to be for Pierre with the log jam that's in front of him. But you are right. Next year, they can be very dangerous with the class they have coming in and if Pierre is a leader on this team, you know, in his third season in East Lansing, he should be. It's kind of the time frame that, Michigan State schedules their guys on, um, and they just need more out of him this season. It is interesting how, to me, you know, Tom Izzo gets asked about it a lot, but doesn't say anything about it. You know what I mean? Like, he'll answer the question, but he doesn't actually say anything. Yeah. It's like, and, always like yeah, he's working. Well, and he, and he always says, like, and he'll pound the table, like, this team is not giving up on Pierre at all. But as Tom Izzo says, at some point, it there's so much, there's only so much believing that we can do in him. He's got to believe in himself and put in that work that he's got to do, not just on the court, but off of it. Obviously, we know about the stuff of him being late to practice and stuff like that, but it's just he's just got to, you know, you're a Division One basketball player, and sometimes it just takes a little bit more yeah, commitment they, than his They focused the in. camera on him in the game against Iowa when he was sitting on the bench. Just looked super frustrated, yeah. super out of sync. Um, you, you could tell something was off there, you know, between, you know, he's getting yelled at by the coaching staff and his own teammates. It just didn't seem like there was a, you know, a... a a healthy, um, you know, athletic performance from from Pierre Brooks there. Yeah, I think when you watch him play, you really understand what Izzo means when he says Pierre has to want it for Pierre, and I don't think he does right now. And that's sad. And I hope he can turn it around because he is a fantastic basketball player. I've seen what he can do at his peak. I, I, I caught a lot of him in high school. I knew him before he got to Michigan State. He was fantastic at Frederick Douglass. He I watched him and Jaden Akins so much in high school. Um, you know, going back and watching their highlights, and Pierre can do some things on the court, man, but he just has to get there, um, and I sure hope he does soon. He might need a little bit of help from the coaching staff, and they're going to give it to him, it sounds like, um, and do everything they can to get him to the level that he needs to be, but this team can be very good if he does get there. On that note, let's take a look ahead here as we take a look at the, the next two games coming up from Michigan State, of course, starting with the Purdue Boilermakers, 20-1. and one. 9-1 and one in the Big Ten, that only loss coming to Rutgers in Mackey Arena. They're ranked number one currently in the AP poll, number four in the net. 
top 25 in both adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency on Ken Palm, fourth in offense, 17th in defense. They're on a seven-game win streak, including one of those wins was against Michigan State. This team's just, they're really good. Yeah, I don't, it's like, damn, Purdue. You know, you thought they lose to Rutgers, uh, what was that, two games before they came to Michigan State? Yeah. And then they beat, and they almost lost to Ohio State the game right after. Right. So they were almost then, on two-game losing And then they street. beat Michigan State by one, and so they've had a lot of close calls. And a lot of Purdue's losses in the past couple years when they've been a top-10, top-5 team in the country have been close losses, buzzer-beater threes, you know, last-second free throws, whatever it is. And they found a way to win these games, and it's like, damn, Purdue is really scary now that they learned how to win those. And... They just don't lose anymore, and so they they get a close one on the road at Michigan. They only win by five. Edie's in foul trouble. He doesn't have his good game. Nineteen and nine. You know that's a bad game for Zach Edie, which is crazy that I just said that, (laughs) but but it is, and they still win. And so you know I don't know what to do at this point. I don't know how I feel about Purdue in the grand scheme of March because you know Matt Painter's got that monkey on his back and whatnot about not being able to get. To, to a Final Four yet with some of the good teams that he's had. But I think this is the best team Matt Painter has had, and I think he's in one of his best coaching seasons right now. Um, and, you know, they're, they're very fun to watch and very scary. Uh, no, I agree. This is going to be a matchup where uh, it could get ugly for Michigan State just because, I mean, Purdue, with rolling with that confidence, the last thing you want to do is give it up now. Um, and like I said, you know, against Michigan, you know, only three players ended up in double-digit scoring. You know, Fletcher Lawyer, again, down the stretch was important for them. Eight for eight on free throws. That's, you know, Fletcher Lawyer has been very big in that department. Uh, but, you know, Michigan still got some good points on them. I mean, Hunter Dickinson, you know, the battle between Hunter Dickinson and Zach Eady, fun to watch, but clearly wasn't the best night for either of them. Yeah, I mean... Fletcher Lawyer in that game against Michigan State, I don't know how many people know this, he scored or assisted on the final 14 points for the Boilermakers in that game, including the game-winning assist to Zach Eady. And so he's at 13 points, two and a half assists, just under two rebounds this season. Obviously, as a freshman, he's won Big Ten Freshman of the Week, I think, three times now. Uh, Zach Eady, 21 and a half, 13 rebounds, 2.3 blocks. Like, come on. (laughs) That's absurd. And... To even keep going with Zach Eady, 37 consecutive games with 10 or more points. Obviously the career high against Michigan State that he just had. Um, I mean, he's everything that he needs to be for Purdue, and he's I mean, he's 100% the main reason that they're where they are right now, I yeah. would say, at 21. Yeah. The, the fun thing about Purdue is they understand that they are Zach Eady, and Zach Eady is they. <laughs> um, but they have, like, other scoring options yeah. and there are some plays like few and far between but there are some on offense where he doesn't touch the ball and it's fun like like we get you have a seven foot four guy you don't have to go to him every time and they don't which i enjoy but we were at indiana and trace jackson davis touches the ball every single play they get it to him on the far corner or the far block and he does that stupid one hand post up where he'll probably kick it out get pumped, it back yeah <laughs> Goes out to Hood Shafino and back to Jackson Davis and back to Hood Shafino and now Jackson Davis and we're doing Jackie Moon over here. And and so, you know, it, it's like it's 
boring basketball when you do that. It works for Indiana. I mean, they've won some games now. But, like, Purdue is a, a fun team to watch. And Edie is just – he's a, an immovable object down there. And, and he's – gotten so much better i mean obviously when you're seven foot four you would hope you'd be decent at basketball but he really has technically improved so much from last season he's one of the smartest players purdue has um and the fouling like like that's a big issue for a lot of big men and he's one of the best players in the country at any position at not fouling like the fact that he had two fouls against michigan they were they were golden, man. The Wolverines. We got Ed with two fouls. We're gonna win this damn game, and sure enough, it doesn't work that way. But um, he's he's so tough for Michigan State to face. They kind of let him do his thing last time in East Lansing, and it almost worked. But man, yeah, Fletcher Lawyer at the end. Whew, that kid can ball. Yeah, no, and this is the thing about Purdue too that is good about them against Michigan. Twenty three points off the bench. That's. I mean. At that the, that's unusual for them. Yes, it's very unusual, I, and if they keep doing that. You just close out the rest of the season now. Yeah, and I mean, speaking on Edie, it, it gets me to the last Michigan State point. I kind of want to talk about, and I want to talk about Maudie Maudie Sissoko against Iowa. We saw flashes of early season Maudie, a ten and ten double double. He was all over the place, especially on the boards, but he's went through a rough patch, kind of similar to Pierre, maybe not as drastic, but. He's went up against a lot of tough bigs. He just saw Edie a few weeks ago, Trace Jackson Davis, Cliff O'Mori at Rutgers, uh, just to name a few. And even Rebracca the other night for Iowa was kind of getting the best of him. And Izzo said that his confidence maybe was a little bit up and down. He hasn't really talked to Maudie much about it. But what I've noticed, what they've done with Maudie the last few games, they're kind of going with Maudie for like very short spurts. Instead of like extended minutes, it's get him in for four minutes and then get Kohler in there, get Carson Cooper in there. And I think it's working, honestly, because it keeps him on the floor less. He doesn't get in that foul trouble. And just those very short spurts of Monty Sissoko, I think, can be very powerful. I guess my question to you guys is, do we need to see Monty Sissoko perform at that high level against these bigs, especially with a challenge coming up, Edie, for the second time now, to be to be able to get into that top four for the Big Ten tournament? Or what do we need to see from Monty especially? Yeah, Marty is interesting for me to watch this season because he's just kind of it's it's like I don't want to say like I told you so or like that I was right, but it's just kind of what what I thought was going to happen when I don't want to be the guy, but Michigan State didn't go in the transfer portal and fill the needs that they had. And so Marty's been good, he's been serviceable, um but he hasn't been st- Deller. He hasn't done anything outstanding. No, you the know? performances aren't influential, yeah. you know, right. to Brendan's he, point. He, he's not affecting the game, and he's not affecting the other team's mm-hmm. bigs. For the most part, Drew Timmy, Trace Jackson Davis, Philip Rabracha, Zach Eady, uh, Oscar Shibway, all these guys, Hunter Dickinson, have had big games, big nights against Michigan State. And that's it's a very difficult task to ask of Mahdi. And you can't expect him to shut down, you know, all of them, but maybe one or two, and that, like, still hasn't happened. I have not been overly impressed with any Mahdi Sissoko defensive performance. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's bad on defense. I, uh, like I said, he's serviceable. He does enough for Michigan State to get by with their perimeter defense. 
um, and, and kind of dig at, at bigs down low. The way Michigan State succeeds at defending bigs is what they do with the other defenders. Mm-hmm. As long as Monty can stay in front of him and fight for position, he doesn't even have to win the position battle, but make it a little bit difficult. Make him Just feel you. Away. Yeah, make yeah. him feel yeah, you. Get your sweat. body into him. Um, and then kind of let your guards, let your other defenders do the rest. Let the defensive scheme work itself. Because the scheme would be different if Monty was better on defense. But they just know he's not. So the scheme has to be a, a multi-defender front on guys like Zach Eady, Hunter Dickinson, Trace Jackson Davis. Sometimes it doesn't always work. Against Indiana, they got absolutely killed. Because Trace got so much better at passing the ball um, that he was able to kick it out and Indiana didn't miss a damn three. But, you know... Edie's gotten really good at passing too. Mm-hmm. And so they have to figure out what works for them. They got it to work here in East Lansing a, a couple of weeks ago in the fact that Purdue didn't get a lot of good looks. They didn't take a lot uh, of threes. And, you know, they shot 40%, but they only took 10 shots from deep. So, you know, the I think the scheme and the plan worked, but you got Purdue to to – play a little bit out of character. And I don't know that that happens in Mackey. They're one of those teams, similar to Michigan State, you just got to imagine yourself down like eight as the game starts because that's what that building can do, and it can do it like that. Um, And so, you know, for Maudie, he just has to stay in front of Edie and not foul because if you get in foul trouble, you're absolutely screwed if Kohler and Cooper have to handle the load or, like, Joey Hauser has to maybe even Malik Hall too. Yeah, um, they're going to be in big trouble if that happens, and he's going to go for a career high forty. Um, so you know, Sissoko has been okay. It's just it's kind of it, it's what we thought was going to happen when they didn't go get a center. You know. Yeah, I mean, we know Mati Sissoko is not the most you know proficiently technically proficient you know defender in college basketball, uh, but the biggest thing for me about Mati and you know the biggest struggle I have with him is the offensive rebounding. It's uh, it, he it, it's not enough. Um, it just it shortens the team so much, especially with the missed um, you know missed opportunities. He's not getting those rebounds. He struggles to catch the ball when he's rebounding, so yeah. it makes it difficult. Usually, he's just tipping it off to Jaden Akins or Joey, you know, to get that second chance rebound. Um, but you know, Mati plays up to his ability, and that's as much I think as Tom Izzo and Michigan State can ask of him. And going back to a little your point, Michael, you know, why we see Jackson Cole and Carson Cooper off the bench a little bit more is because I think they have more confidence than they did at the start of the season. So they're automatically seeing a lot more minutes, a lot tougher task, um, you know, especially for Jackson. You know, Jackson came in and did that like small rotation with with Mahdi coming in real quick, giving good minutes, trying to get some points. Doesn't always work out for him, but at the end of the day, you're getting another big body in there. I think a big thing for Mahdi, too, and big, no pun intended, is that he's just not big. Like, mm-hmm. you know, people don't talk about the fact that Mahdi's 6'9". Nine. Nine. Like, yeah. he's not a bad basketball player. Just, he's small. He's small. Like, for, for being a center and doing what he's been tasked with, it, he really has not been put in a good position by this coaching staff. I don't know how... They've been in the Big Ten this long, you know, Tom Izzo in almost year 30. Um, he's been around long enough to know a 6'9", 240 guy is not going to cut it size-wise in this conference. He's also not the longest guy in terms of yeah. reach or, you know, his legs. You know, right. He's, he's, he's big, but he's not huge. He's he's strong, but that doesn't matter when, as a center, 
you're giving up seven inches. Now that's an anomaly in Zach Eady, who's seven foot four. But still, Trace Jackson Davis is six eleven. Hunter Dickinson is seven one. Cliff Amore is six eleven. Like yeah. he's losing a lot of height to these guys right from the jump, and you know that puts him in a tough spot. And it, it just. They haven't developed him properly, in my opinion. They haven't put the right pieces around him. They needed to get a center last year, let alone coming into this year. Um, and so I don't blame Monty for any of it. I think he's done a good job with how difficult this situation has been for him, and I think he's done a good job of not maybe letting on the frustrations or how difficult it's been. Um, but yeah, they, they, no, or they didn't simply put him in giving a good spot. up. You know, a lot of players in Monty's position right, too. Yeah. You know, simply are like, you know what. I can't do this, you know, this is a tough ask, you know, asking me to, you know, defend these, you know, you know, seven-foot guys week in, week out when they know his technical ability is not the best. You know, they're setting him up for a position where he's, you know, even when he's at 100% and putting in a good effort, they're going to get points on him no matter what. You know, and it's a tough ask. It's a tough job to do. You know, I don't envy that, but... Um, if Madi can go back to you know a little bit more of these double double performances, you know you can see him have a good season for himself. Yeah, like I said, against Iowa, I mean it was a very quiet double double. He just seemed to be all over the place, especially when it came to rebounding the basketball. But I do believe that they're going to need him late in the year, just because the Big Ten is just so loaded with bigs. And if you want to be able to get into that top four and want to actually compete, sure. I mean Michigan State has the guards, but you got to be able to win those matchups down low if you want any chance of potentially getting that double buy. So we'll see how he performs against Edie. We'll see how Michigan State tries to prepare for Edie, if it's similar to what it was a couple weeks ago or if they mix it up. But nonetheless, right before we get into predictions for this game, let's just take a quick look at Rutgers, which is going to be a little bit down the road, obviously. That game will be at Madison Square Garden in New York. Rutgers comes in at 14-6. and six. They're 6-3 six and three in the Big Ten. They're in second place in the Big Ten as well. Uh, Michigan State just beat them by 13 just over a week ago. Rutgers is second in adjusted defense on Ken Palm as well. Obviously led by Cliff O'Mori, Cam Spencer, who had a really off night against Michigan State that night. But what stood out, I think, in that game against Michigan State about a week ago was just the 18 offensive rebounds that Rutgers had. They just outworked Michigan State, but Michigan State shot the lights out from three. I I think this is going to be a tough ask here against the Rutgers team. And like I said, it's basically a de facto road game here at Madison Square Garden. And Rutgers will be the first to tell you that the game that they had here at the Breslin Center was a, just a god-awful performance from their shooting, and it's very abnormal of them this season for them to shoot that bad. They go back playing a big arena like Madison Square Garden, uh, you know, and if and if they're on their shooting night, they've got their laces tied up right, um, they go out and win that game as well. I think Michigan State goes 2-0 against Rutgers this year. Wow. Uh, the... You know, they got lucky the first time. That's a game Michigan State's not supposed to win. The way they played, the way they got outworked, and somehow they won it by 13. And I get I get that they shot like 85% from three or whatever it was. It was, it was, it was close it was to 60, 50, I think. 52, I yeah. think. But they were 12 for 22, and Steve Peichel mentioned it after the game. But Michigan State plays Purdue when? Tomorrow. On what day of the week? Sunday. And then they play Rutgers what day of the week? Saturday. Six days. They get, yeah, they get a whole week. They get six days to get ready for that Rutgers game, the most they're going to have and the most they have had in the Big Ten schedule all year. And they get to prepare for a Rutgers team who's not playing at the rack. Or Jersey Mike's Arena, whatever they call it now. It's the rack. The reason <laughs> Rutgers is so good at home is because of their students. Rutgers does not have a big 
basketball following, a big mm-hmm. basketball community outside of Piscataway. Like the, the, their student section and the energy they bring and the close in-house Rutgers fans um, are what help them. Now there's going to be students and there's going to be fans at Madison Square Garden. That's a, that's a, a calendar circled you know, game for them where we, oh, we get to go play at the garden and stuff and we'll make the trip. It's not that far. But some people are not going to because they can't and it's expensive and it's a drive. And, and Michigan State travels well too. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and that's a building that Michigan State is familiar with. Um, they've played there, you know, a number of times over the past couple of years, and some of the guys that have played in those games are on this team right now. Um, so I just, I just think with the with the the five days off and and you know that that much extra prep to get ready, the fact that it's not a real road environment, you still have to travel. But New York is fun. New York does something different for the guys, um, and it'll almost feel like a vacation for them, I think, you know, to get away. have that time off. They probably have a non-basketball day scheduled. Um, go to New York, have fun in New York for a night, for a day, and then, you know, you don't have to play in a technically hostile environment. Like, it'll be Rutgers favored, but I don't know that they're going to have a huge advantage, um, at, you know, as a home court. And also the fact that it's literally not their gym. Like, that has a f- something to do with it. The fact that that's the gym you play in the most, you're used to shooting on those rims and the depth perception behind the backboard and all that stuff. Um, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say Michigan State goes 2-0 and against Rutgers this year. I think they're going to pick up a win on Saturday. Well, speaking of picking up wins, it's time to close out this episode with the predictions. This is for Purdue tomorrow. I guess we'll start with you, Luca. What, what do you see going for Michigan State? Uh, Michigan State loses, I say, 78-69. to 69. I love that score. That's a great number. I, I, I think Purdue does win by double digits, though. Um, and with the offense that they've had this year, I don't know that Michigan State keeps them under 80. I mean, like, if Braden Smith hits a couple buckets, Moyer's going to hit a couple Edie's going to have 25. Mason Gillis plays well at home. Um, Ethan Morton was nowhere to be found in East Lansing the last time these two teams mm-hmm. met. That's not going to happen again. 85 to 70. Purdue. I'm going to go close to that. I'm going to go with Purdue 80 to 68. So Purdue by 12 for me, Brendan, with Purdue by 15. But nonetheless, that's going to do it for this week on Impact Izone. Thank you all for tuning in. Obviously, Brendan and I will be on the call tomorrow from Mackey Arena, live around noon-ish to get that game underway between the Spartans and the Boilermakers. Luca, of course, will be our writer and live update, and he'll write the recap as well. And the Green and White Report, live just Mm -hmm. before us. Those guys are going to be right here in this very room doing the show and then toss it to us right out there at 12.15. Did you notice that tip change, too? It wasn't at 12.30 all year, and now it's 12.15. When I I looked first, it was 12.15, but I I found it so odd because a lot of people were telling me, oh, it was scheduled for closer to like 1 p.m., Right, I was like, okay, and like, I was... and like, I'm I'm a college radio sports director. I'm not in TV programming, but like, why? The, like, does the 15 minutes make that much of it? Like, what is the? I don't get no, it. No, it's it's like the NBA. It they, won't they, start. They, they tell t- you 12:30. It won't start till like one. That's what I'm right. saying. Though. MLB, they say 12:15. They'll start by 12:30. MLB games. The first pitch is 7:07. You know, like yeah. whatever. So, nonetheless, yes, you can catch me and Brendan on the call. Of course, you'll follow Luca for your live updates. I'll have the recap after the game as well. Thank you all for tuning in once again. We'll see you guys next week on Impact Zone.